resiliency. I mean, look, even Nicholas just said like a hundred times, Tiger's the best that I've ever seen. Would you all just leave me alone? Stop trying to Let me suffer. I just want to be miserable. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. We are the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite big players, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Putt. We got a special one for you today. We welcome Brandon Pierce to the podcast. Brandon was a decorated golfer at LSU, is continuing to pursue his dream of becoming a PGA Tour golfer post-college. But Brandon's story is far from usual, and we look forward to hearing more about how he's overcome adversity in his golfing endeavors Brandon comes to us as a mutual friend of our previous guest, Jack Bonifant. Brandon and Jack met each other at the 2022 U.S. Adaptive Open in Pinehurst. We talked to Jack about that event. Jack came in third that year, and it's no coincidence that he was probably leaning on the experience, course knowledge, and golfing ability of Brandon, who has been a caddy at Pinehurst for a few years now. And when we talk about golfing ability for Brandon, let me paint the picture for you. Brandon and his LSU Tiger team captured the 2015 NCAA Division I National Championship in the stroke play portion leading up to the match play portion. Brandon finished tied 11th, coming just a few shots short of pretty notable names like Bryson DeChambeau, C.T. Pan, and Bo Hostler. Big thanks to Brandon for coming on the podcast, and thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. For all of our listeners in the greater Frederick area, keep an eye out for updates. We're hoping to get a preview of the new X-Golf facility going in the old Champions Bar at Westview. Eight massive world-class golf simulators, a big manipulatable putting green that kind of gives you the line as you putt. Good bar, good TVs. Should be a lot of fun. Nice, man. Well, thanks for joining us today, man. We're happy to, you know, for you to be on this podcast. When Jack told us that you were his caddy and like your golfing pedigree, man, we had to get you on here. So we know a lot about your days at LSU, like you're, you're trying to qualify for the PGA Tour. We know you're an incredibly talented golfer, but we don't know, like, where are you from? And then, you know, how were you introduced to golf? Uh, well, just to go back to it, man, Jack's a great guy. I mean, it was awesome to caddy for him down at concession and uh, as well in Pinehurst, man. I, dude, he is unbelievably good at golf. He's hit some, he hit some shots where I was just, you know, I was sitting there just watching him like, that's pretty damn good, man. <laughs> so uh, it was definitely a pleasure to caddy for him and uh, kind of become good friends with him and have him invite me down to concession. It was a good experience for myself. Um, I started golf, though, when I was – Shoot, when I was probably two, two and a half, that was when my dad started bringing me out with like a little, he cut down a six iron and it was about, you know, a foot and a half tall or so. And I'd just be on the putting green with him, just whacking around. I would say competitively, I would be probably about age of seven. I guess I would, I would say that was pretty much my whole life, about 22 years now. Wow. So is that, is that when you kind of had, when did you get the dream that you wanted to play on the PGA tour? Was it when you started playing competitively or when you picked Two up a half. club? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, Once you got a full no. size six iron. <laughs> I think it, I think it goes in stages. Um, I mean, obviously I, I, I saw myself wanting to compete at a high level um, when I was, you know, eight, like probably 10 years old, 11 years old. I want to say right when I started, uh, right when I started, it was, 
I think my dad just put me in events and I just went and played, you know? <laughs> um, I, I think when I started getting into high school, I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, I think I can go play college, maybe, maybe aspire to, a little more. And, uh, when I, I think when I got that scholarship to go play for a big D one school at LSU, man, it kind of, it was like, Hey, you can, you know, if you put your mind to it, man, you can, you can do this. So, it, you know, it helps when I see a lot of my buddies, um, already out there, a lot of people that I played with, um, colleagues, friends and whatnot, and they're very successful. And, uh, it, just to show you that it's possible, you just got to put the work in and figure out what your advantage is and kind of use that as like your mental mindset. Like, Hey, I had this, this over you, this is why I'm better. This is, you know, and it's just motivating yourself, you know? Yeah. So you spent all four years at LSU, right? How was that experience? I yeah. I mean, so when you got, if you look back to your first day as a freshman and then your, your graduating days as senior, like, was your golf transformed? Like, did you feel like you were a much better golfer leaving LSU than when you entered? Oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, the difference between high school golf, even elite high school golf, like AJGA amateur, like junior golf, and cotton in college is just a completely different level. Just like it is from elite college to you know elite like pro golf. Um, every level has a jump to it, and you got to be able to make that jump and figure out your advantage. Like I was talking about to make that jump. For me, like going in, going from high school. We won a state championship. I never won it as an individual, but we won team multiple times. And going into college, I was like, yeah, I'm the best, you know, I'm the one of the best in the state. You know, I know what I'm doing. And you get there and you get to college and you're like, well, <laughs> now you're bottom of the total. You get humble like, real quick. Really yeah, exactly. So you, you get wrecked real quick. You're like, oh, wow. Okay. What do I need to do to improve my game? And it makes you, I, I always say, I always say like putting yourself with, better players who know where the, you already are you're going to beat you on a day-to-day basis you're either going to get better and try to beat them and improve yourself or you're just going to be like well you know this isn't for me but that, that's the best thing. That. you know you want to put yourself with the people that are going to beat you every single day senseless because if you if you don't like getting beat and you don't like losing well then you're going to find out a way figure out a way for you to stop getting that feeling inside of losing and I think that was the biggest thing for me is um, my freshman year, I didn't play too much. And then my freshman spring, actually, I got a low back injury, um, a stress fracture, and it took that took seven months to recover from that. Jeez. And I got and my, I think my motivation for that is I, I played in one event my freshman year, or maybe or one, two, maybe two events. Maybe one is an individual and being not being able to play golf for seven months and being that I was you know, I was in in college trying to play for an elite team. It was, it was just kind of mentally just like, oh, my God, well, I just I need to get back. I need to get back. So I think that was my motivation there. You know, I came back my sophomore year that fall, um, finally released to be able to play and everything. And I didn't play anything in my sophomore fall. I was still rehabbing and everything and um, had a good winter. I guess that's our college offseason, a good winter events leading into the spring season. Um, and then I played every event in the spring, got in through qualifying and, you know, made it happen pretty much. So yeah, I figured out something to improve my game from where it was in high school golf to where I need, where it needed to be in, you know, an elite college. So you're pretty much a staple on the team, your junior and senior year? Uh, well, no, my, so, <laughs> so my sophomore year, that was the year we won the national championship and SEC championship. Um, and that was an awesome team, man. I, every single person on the team for all my four years was great. 
there's like a brotherhood out there. And I'm sure there's every other team's like that. Um, maybe not every single one, but it is nice when you, you get along with everybody and everybody's just wanting to do the same thing, wants to achieve the same goal. Um, like along with the coaching staff and everything, um, Chuck Winstead was the main reason why I went to LSU. Um, he, he was, he just understood the game of golf and he, he didn't really necessarily have to be working with you with your swing coach. Like he wanted you to use your own people own everything. But what he did best was basically convince you that you're the best in the world. <laughs> and by doing that, you, you believe that you are. And when you believe that you are, you get better. You might not be the best in the world, but you get better and you improve and you realize that, Hey, this is possible. This is doable. So sophomore year that happened. And then you had said junior, senior year staple. Well, sophomore year after we won nationals, that was when I broke my neck. So that was a, uh, you know, a little setback for me. That's a major one. I yeah. thought that was kind of, I thought, I didn't know you guys won natties your sophomore year. I thought it was senior. And then you kind of dealt with that injury after college, but so you're still in college, you break your neck, like how how long are you out of golf? And then like you know what are the ramifications? Like did you change your golf swing? Talk walk us through what happened. So freshman year that that low back injury that was seven months. So you would think oh that you know this is neck injury is going to be longer. It's going to be worse. Well, you know lucky for me I had a lot of support around me, a lot of people that cared for me. And when that happened, you know I I kind of blanked out after when I got to the hospital. I was like oh god what's going on? I, you know. I always had a high threshold of pain tolerance from a mom. I was freaked out. And then I woke up after surgery and then it was only took about five and a half months for me to swing a golf club again, which was unbelievable. Wow. It sounds like uncanny. Yeah. It sounds like this is something that would put you out of golf for years and you're back in five months. The doc, Dr. Isolo did an absolutely perfect job. Apparently that's what he, at least that's what he told my parents. And everything. As you tell me from the recovery, I guess, I mean, I guess everything went perfectly smooth and, uh, you know, I couldn't be more thankful and grateful to, uh, be able to, you know, still be playing this game and it's, it's been awesome. Now that was obviously like, it's a very serious injury. Did you find that you had to like retune your golf game or were you able to kind of get back to the, the same style of play prior? So I've actually, I actually learned a little bit about, the game of golf and what you, you know, what you call the, the golf swing versus playing golf, like playing golf is not playing golf swing, but what I learned about the golf swing in a way, but not really my freshman year. Cause I was still messing around with the club a lot in my dorm and whatever. And I was doing summer class and everything. But when I was sitting in a chair with a neck brace, so I'm not doing nothing, but playing video games, reading books and just <laughs> doing nothing, man. It was, uh, I didn't touch a golf club for six months. So, what I learned was that when you, I came back and you could almost start from nothing, your body still, you know, will, when you're doing something for your whole life, it still is going to remember everything and, you know, muscle memory and all that. But you can really adjust what you wanted to change that you couldn't do before because of how much muscle memory you had. So I wouldn't say my golf swing changed a whole lot. If anything, you know, I, I may have lost just an ounce of flexibility due to the injury but other than that i mean it is my golf swing is pretty much the same it uh it may be just a little bit shorter and it but it's always been a little laid off and uh produ producing more of that like either push draw or depending on if i rotate it a little different kind of like the hold off kind of fade kind of ball but i didn't really have to change too much but th there was a learning curve you know getting <laughs> back i mean i remember my first tournament back after my next surgery man uh chuck winstead our, our head coach he i was playing in a home golf event i don't I'm not even sure if I was, I'm, I think I started on the five 
I think I missed qualifying by like a shot and the and coach put me in and he walked with me for at least the first, I would say 13 or 14 holes for that, for that first round. Wow. And, and I, I think I was seven, seven or eight over. You <laughs> know, it's just like, uh, finally I just told him, I was like, coach, just get out of here. Leave me alone. Yeah. I was, because I was just freaking out, whatever. And I just said, get out of here. We'll be, we'll be fine. I'll figure it out. And he said, all right, cool. <laughs> so then after that, I think I was like three or four under the next, uh, like 50 something holes or whatever it was. <laughs> That's awesome. So in college, right, you got to play with some pretty notable names. I don't know if you were on their teams or there around the timeline they were there, but, you know, you got like Sam Burns and Smiley Kaufman. Well, before that, so I had a, a couple of other friends of mine that played college golf and, mul- and multiple, all of them have said, Brandon, you didn't play college golf, man. You just, you played some glamorous sport <laughs> that you don't even know. <laughs> and uh, so most colleges, like they all got the vans, they're driving everywhere and I get to LSU, man. We we drove to one event, I think. Yeah, one event my entire four years that I at least that I traveled to, and it was the one in Lafayette. But we flew everywhere, either on the little jet or the or commercial or whatnot. Wow. So That's it was so definitely wild. definitely not like a your standard college golf traveling in a van eight hours and whatnot experience. <laughs> um but yeah, I get I mean got getting to meet and play with and just practice and everything with a lot of different guys, not even just on LSU's team, but other, all the other D one schools that we played against. And we saw it week to week. Um, and it, along with all the amateur golf in the summer, we played with the same guys growing up in AGA GAs as well. Um, I would like Sam, Sam Burns obviously was there. Uh, my, it's the ha- second half of my career, uh, Smiley Kaufman, Curtis Thompson, Ben Taylor, uh, Zach Wright, Eric Rico. I mean, I, I can keep naming them, rolling them off the tongue, man. Andrew Loop was there before I got there. John Peterson was there before I got there. And they still, everybody still loves LSU, man. And they all come back. And when you're in town, we're practicing together and whatnot. Um, so just getting to be around people who know the game. And like I said, will beat you on a daily basis. It's, it's, it's entertaining. You know, the girls team there has really turned a corner, too. They got uh, Ingrid Lindblad and Latana Stone. Both of those girls played incredibly well at Augusta. Oh, my goodness. They they have been playing so good. I mean, the, the hats off to them. They have the last, I don't know, what has it been, five years, four years? I try to keep up with the best I can. And uh, I know Garrett – so Garrett Runyon and Alexis Rather, uh, they are the head coaches now. But Garrett was my assistant coach when I was on the team. And now he's the head women's coach. Yeah, them and those girls have taken that team to a whole different level. Um, they have played unbelievable golf. The fact that they're doing that Augusta Women's National thing is awesome, freaking sweet, and especially to be able to see them represent LSU with that. It's uh, t- I remember watching the last couple of years; it's freaking cool. I know Latana really had a chance there. She kind of like stumbled a little bit down the run, down the down the stretch on the back nine, but I thought she had it in the bag. You know, you you win some, you lose some. Yeah. That's the name of the And I will say, you lose a lot more yeah. than you win. <laughs> it's true. Unless yeah, Tiger's winning percentage is like twenty percent, and that'll never get touched. <laughs> well, Tiger's winning percentage was unheard of. Brandon, oh. I, I had a question about college golf. Uh, so there's oh, yeah. the, obviously the individual competition and the team competition, uh, specifically for the national championship. Did you find yourself? Did you have more pressure on yourself or did you feel more pressure playing in like the team events or the individual events when you were in, in contention? Honestly, man, the I just love playing. So being from Louisiana, I get to play for LSU. That was probably the best experience 
that I will have in my life, at least for me. I, I love playing for LSU. I love representing the school. Um, my dad and my grandpa both went to LSU. Um, and it was just it was just a once in a lifetime thing. You only got four years to do it. And every single time I teed it up, you know, I for me, it was great that everybody was so close on the team. I would I would never really say I was playing for myself. Um, that was probably the biggest thing for me was going from college to pro was instead of, you know, playing for your team and, you know, every single shot mattered so much more to me when I was in college, just because you're playing for your brother, you're playing for a guy that's side by side. And I, I would say nerve wise, I didn't really get nerves in college because I knew my, the guys on my team would back me up. If, you know, if I, if I fell back a shot or fell back a couple of shots, I knew somebody was going to make a birdie or somebody was going to do something to help us out because there's five of us out there you count the top four and as long as as long as all five guys out there are giving it every single ounce of energy and effort they have then that team's going to do well in whatever event that they're playing in nice man well let's fast forward here to to golf and life after college you're a caddy at pinehurst which i think all of us in the room are equally jealous about you're you're (laughs) pursuing your dream to be a pga tour golfer but Let's talk about Pinehurst. How long have you been caddying there? And we got lots of questions about, like, you know, what the caddying experience is like and what yeah. you think about Pinehurst. Oh, yeah. I've been there for two years. Uh, I'll be back going back up there in March this year. I've enjoyed every single minute of it. It's been awesome. You get to meet a lot of people, um, and especially being around the game that I like so much, it, being outdoors, being on the golf course every day. Um, it's very easy for me. It just comes like second nature. So it, it's been Pinehurst has been a good home for me and a good experience so far. And I, I've, I've uh, very thankful for them. So you take a few months off from caddying. Right now you're in Florida doing like mini tour events and Q school qualifying, all that stuff, Monday qualifying. So are you, you go back to Pinehurst in like the March time frame, and then you're pretty much there until next fall? Yeah, I'll, also I'll in season there for caddying is pretty much from March till the end of November. Um, I would say December, a little bit of December as well, but mostly like the more season where you're getting more work, obviously. Um but and then I'll then the last couple of years I've been leaving after that and going home to my parents' house December, January, and February, um, just because the work slows down and uh, it's tough to in, unless unless you're saving up and everything and you to pay for your rent and all that stuff for there for three months, which I don't need to do when I'm traveling and playing in events that I got to pay for as well. So that's that's not not the ideal situation <laughs> for me. But but I'll be up there from March to the end of November. Did I see it correctly that you won the the Caddy Open? Was it this past year or in 2022? Uh, that was this in this past year in December. So that was the first annual Caddy Open. I think they I think they tried to do it back when Jimmy Smith was there. Um, back when he was not he now he's the Caddy Master and uh, he's a great guy. And but I think this time was the first time that they did it amongst all different golf courses and kind of across the country kind of deal. Was it pretty um, closely contested it, or are you just clearly the best? Uh, it was, it was a good match. I would say, um, he's like, he's uh, being humble. <laughs> he You're wants humble. to say I wiped the floor with these guys. The, the so the court, the course, <laughs> the, so let, let's put it this way. In, in our caddy tournament that I had to qualify in, um, I shoot, I shoot course four is a tough course, man. I, I went out there and shot 77. Now, granted, I did fly in from a wedding and whatnot, but <laughs> it, uh, it, it definitely surprised me. But the the whole deal, the whole caddy tournament, the whole everybody put on that event was awesome. Like it, it was a great experience for me. Not not only, you know, I'm assuming it was a great experience for everybody else because they had put us up in a hotel. We had breakfast, we had lunch, we had like everything was provided. Uh, I, I mean, they did an absolutely great job and the courses were in perfect shape. 
Um, as, as to the play, the play was great. Definitely had some ups and downs for everybody out there. Um, I did end up walking away with victory, which was a nice trophy to put on the wall. Now you mentioned like number four and like how that, you know, maybe it was a little, a little more challenging than maybe you expected. Have you had a chance to play pretty much all the courses? And is there like one, maybe it's obviously like a number two situation that really kind of stands out or you think is like the, you know, maybe more worth it than some of the What's others? best bang for the buck? <laughs> best bang for the buck. See, if I, if I could, if I knew how much it costs to play all the courses, I could tell you, <laughs> but fortunately for me, the caddies get to play every course or not two and four. And then the offsite courses, you got to call ahead and schedule it with the caddy master and everything. Uh, but we get to play for $5 with a cart. So <laughs> it's good deal. I, I, that's a big perk of working. <laughs> that's the, that's why the $5? Why not just zero? Cat, it's a cart fee. I think it's <laughs> mainly just to, you know, <laughs> make sure they know who's out there. <laughs> put it on record. Yeah. Leave your ID at the table. <laughs> yeah, at least put it on record. Um, I, so besides two and four, because obviously those are the premier courses, and those those two are probably the best courses in Piners. Um, you, then you got course eight. Course seven, personally, my favorite, and I think is one of the most challenging courses. Put it, let's put it this way: if you put the greens on course seven at a stamp of twelve, just like course four and two predominantly are most of the year, and you and you go to the rough up, just like it is on whatever on on like eight and off other offsite courses, course seven is by far the toughest course out there. I think. Wow, I never heard that. That's cool. Like if if I put course two at seventy. 300 yards and I put course seven at 7,300 yards and you put the gr green stamp the same, you grew the rough up on course seven, course seven, I think. So, I mean, it's just a really tight golf course and a lot. And I want to say 13 out of the 18 greens are all elevated. Oh, so you're having yeah. to take a lot of extra club. And when the greens are elevated, that landing trajectory is going to be a lot lower. And when the greens are firm and fast, that ball is just going to hit and skip more. Yeah. So it's a lot harder to hold the greens. And when the greens are elevated and small and the fairways are nice and tight and tree line and everything, I think that makes for a great contest. So have you gotten a chance to play number two? What are your thoughts on it? I mean, the U.S. Open's coming there this year. That should be an incredible experience. I am looking very much forward to the U.S. Open being there, uh, whether or not <laughs> I'll be playing in it and or watching it or maybe you get to, you know, they, they throw out a few caddies out there for practice rounds with people who, you know, want to walk with somebody or something. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. But, I, you know, course two is one of the most challenging courses. It, it, and I think it for TV and for U.S. Open, it's absolutely perfect. And the reason why is because all the uh, because after you go from fairway, there is no rough. You go into like those wire grass bushes. And the reason why I like that is because that's a lot of luck. You can miss a fairway and have a absolutely pristine lie off a tight dirt, spin it perfect, you'll be fine. But you could also be absolutely plugged in one of those things, have taken unplayable, and then you're sitting there hitting three. So uh, I think a lot goes into hitting fairways at Pinehurst number two, and that and that's that's perfect for a U.S. Open. If you're hitting fairways, you're going to play well because that's mainly you know. If you go back and look at all the other open courses, let's go. Let's just the first one that came to my mind was uh, Beth Page Black. Man, if you miss the fairway out there, ain't no yeah, chance. Good luck finding it first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, in the way the greens roll off around it, being able to walk it every day has allowed me to appreciate the smaller contours around the greens and around the just the fairway runoffs and everything that I you want to see. You know, one playthrough or on TV. Are the greens pretty diabolical? Like the turtleback nature of them at number two makes it, I mean, how does that play? I'm sure that's pretty challenging. 
I mean, I would like to say they're diabolical, especially <laughs> but I'm just too golfer, good, especially for your average golfer. Um, is diabolical for your elite golfers when you're hitting your, you know, when they get the greens, you know, actually running a 14 in their firm because you, it's it's almost impossible to hold those greens coming in with a seven, six, five, four iron. It's very challenging. You got to hit the ball as high as you can. And if it gets windy at all, I mean, hitting moon balls out there. For, from 200 yards or, or I guess we'll shoot Bryson nowadays hits his seven. <laughs> so not really, not, not, not much for him, but you know, for your average PGA tour professional, um, I think it is very challenging. Uh, it's going to be very, I remember one year and there's a couple greens out there where shoot, if I was playing in the open, I would purposely miss the green short, just be short of the green. And I would take a hybrid or a putter or something and just put it to the hole. You know, par, pars are good out there at an open, and I think that's the best way to do it to win it. You got a score prediction? You think they're going to trick the course up pretty good for this year's Open? Uh, well, they are not going to do anything different than, I mean, just get the greens firm and fast and burn the course out. So it, it, pretty much everybody comes to play course two, and it, it most of the time during the year plays a U.S. Open golf course. Um, obviously, most people don't play it from the U.S. Open tees because that would be absolutely crazy <laughs> from 7,600 yards or whatever it is. Uh, but pretty much they'll get the greens rolling firm and fast. And other than that, it, it's just going to be a shootout. It's going to be who can shoot, who, who can putt the best from off the greens, according to Martin Keimer. Man. There you go. <laughs> yeah, like Keimer's so, the past champion, right? And then before him was, was it Michael Campbell? Is that right? I think, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. That's the uh, one that always gets me because that name is just, you pull that out of nowhere. Like you didn't hear about him much elsewhere. It is, but he has a bunch of pictures walking down the main hallway in the, uh, clubhouse and uh every day walking into work man i'll i always want some new some picture grabs my eye and i'll end up stop reading a little bit and it's something new every time i, ha- I still haven't read it all there's so much history in that, <laughs> we in spent that like an hour and a half in the pro so, shop when we were there yeah you could just <laughs> you could stay there forever and just be reading stuff i mean it's, it's nuts now when you go out to play number two do you typically play all the way back at the u.s open distance or do you play you know something so, in between so, like I said earlier, the caddies don't get to play two and four as often, um, obviously, as as we'd like. Every day. Yeah, but no one gets to play courses two and four as often as they like because everybody <laughs> would love to play them as much as they wanted. Um, but the times we do get to play, the, almost every time I've played it, the course is in perfect shape. Greens are rolling great. I mean, I haven't played it when the greens are rolling less than like a, a, an 11 and a half. Okay. But actually, talk about the putting off the green, man, that in that caddy tournament, you know, I was putting with a hybrid. It, I putted with a hybrid when I missed the green at least four or five times that day. Wow. And, you know, got I think I got all but one up and down. Wow. And it, it's, you know, it's people people laugh at it when I like when I'm caddying for you and I literally tell you, look, I'm pretty good at golf and I'm still going to putt it or take a hybrid to some of these locations. They're like, no, no, I'm going to take my wedge out. I'm going to flop it. <laughs> like, like, dude, all right, do whatever. Just trying to tell you. Wait, how often? I was like Ben trying to give me advice. How often do people actually not listen to you? Like, what's the percentage of listening versus not listening? Uh, <laughs> like eighty percent listening, uh, you know, ninety percent. No, I would say you get thirty-three percent. One out of every three people are stuck with. I am only going to chip with this club. Yeah, like I can't do anything else because it just it's in their mind. It's locked in their mm-hmm. mind and golf's a mental. What game you're comfortable with, yeah. Yeah, if you can't get out of your mind, then you're never going to get be good. Like, get better at golf. Um, but most of the time, like if I tell them, I gotta work on that. Screw, I got a couple of head they'll, they'll do it. So, 
Uh, especially as long as I get to you before you tee off, as long as I get to talk to you before you get to tee off. And, you know, I, I mentioned things that get you to go ch- hit some chip shots, you know, work with you a little bit on that little hybrid putt I was talking about or some putting, you know, just put that in your mind and get you more comfortable with it. Then most people will end up doing that. And it does help them around that course and uh, with their, I guess their score in the end. Cause that's obviously what everybody's looking for. I've always been curious. How long does it take you to pick up on someone's distances or tendencies? Is it just like a quick range session or does it take a few holes for you? To no, 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 no. Uh, so I don't really pick up on distances. Okay. What I, what I do um, is I basically just give you a number. I say, I want you to hit that number and then I'll let you tell me whatever club you hit and then I'll let you hit it. And then as soon as you hit it, I'll be able to hear it. And then I will also ask you, Hey, how'd you hit that? Was it hit perfect? And that, and before it even lands half the time, I'll get a response. And if it comes up short, then I'll just blatantly say, Hey man, you don't hit it that far. We're going to go up one more or Hey man, you hit it too far or whatever. Cause most, you know, I think almost 90, Nine percent of amateur golfers hit think they hit it further than they actually do. <laughs> no way! Imagine that. You know, imagine yeah. that. You know? I did it and once, that, so that, it has that, to that be. That even, goes, that even goes for myself. You know, it, it's it's. But a lot of people don't understand is that you don't have to hit it that far. I don't have to hit. I can hit an eight iron one hundred and seventy three yards if I want to hit it hard. But I, the the times I actually do that, one out of fifty. Yeah. You know, almost yeah. every swing I make is a half shot, a three quarter shot, a flight it. It's it's just about controlling the distance. So why swing hard if you don't need to? You know, it's a lot easier to just swing nice and easy, let the club get hit the ball and let it do what it's supposed to do, and go hit your nine iron 135 yards. No one cares what they what you care about is getting the ball in the hole. You know, I think the testament to that is Chris Kirk winning the the century this past week. I mean, I think he was 200 yards out on 17, knowing he needed to land it 10 yards short and. He's hit a five iron, you know, a five iron, one ninety. That's pretty stock for like a, most average. Yeah, that is a very stock yep. five iron. And you see most of these guys on stock. tour hitting five irons like two twenty now, and it's like, well, what's the what's the purpose, right? You got to hit it the number. Yeah, you just got to hit it where you need to hit it. That's it. Keep it simple. Nice. Well, how about um? So we've talked about two and four, seven and eight. How about this upcoming? I don't know if it, it might be open now, but course number ten is supposed to be. I don't know that's a Gil Hans design, right? Everyone kind of raving yeah, about so it. The court, course ten's opening. Um, it, or it is open. Uh, that I was if I hadn't have gone home for the winter, uh, they were going to allow us to go out there with our putters and you know putt around the green, see the course a little bit, and before I go, when I go back up in their March, before I can caddy out there, I have to at least go do a. Uh, I have to go see the course basically. Yeah. Um, uh, so I've heard good things. I haven't been able to see it yet. I've seen videos of it. Um, I'm very excited about it. And I, honestly, I, with the open coming up, I would expect a lot of people to, you know, do a little trip to come play course 10 and go to the open kind of thing. Maybe. Will that one be on site or off site? I don't know where it's actually being. Uh, 10 is off site. Off site. I'm not sure of the location. I, th- I want to say it's a little South of, the main resort that makes sense now you mentioned like you can't caddy that course until you've gone and looked at it is there what are you specifically looking for when you go to a course whether it's before a tournament they're going to be playing in or to be the caddy like is are there particular areas other than maybe just like the green complexes or you know what do you focus it on is that a question about when i do it for myself or is that a question about when i do it and i what i need what do i need to look at for you know your resort guest yeah, follow your heart. Either one works. They both, they both seem like interesting answers, potentially. 
Well, you know, if I'm going to just look at the course for, you know, the per the, an average person I'm going to caddy for, I'm looking for the safest option over there up by the green where we can get it up and down, you know, seven out of 10 times. Yeah. So wherever that may be, I'm going to, you know, subtly try to suggest, hey, let's maybe play a little right of the flag. There's a lot of room over there. And, you know, I think it would be a good chance of birdie if we hit it to the right. You know, not, not nothing negative. I don't like using contractions on the golf course. That's never a good thing. And a lot of people do it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, let's not go left. Well, the, your brain doesn't hear the not. It just says left, left, left. left. Yeah. Mm. So what you want to do when That's you're on really the golf smart. course is talk about where you want to hit the ball. Because your, your brain and your mind, if you've scouted out the course, already knows where you don't want to hit it. <laughs> like, no one wants to hit it in a pond over there right of the fairway, you know? Yeah, exactly. What? No one wants, you know, we didn't bring our scuba gear. We can't play out of that thing. So, and then for me personally, when I go to a practice round or to a course, it's not really even about the, you know, the actual whole course itself. It's mainly about tee balls, just making sure what club I want to hit off a tee keeps the fairway the widest for me or you know second choice options off the tee like if i need to be aggressive or you depend on where i'm at in the round i normally don't typically look at anything until about 11 to 12 holes in to see if i need to press or if i need to just kind of coast or if i need to you know do whatever um and then on top of that i'll go around the putting green obviously so same thing for me is where, where's the best place to miss it you know obviously you're to, to make birdies you're gonna you're gonna have short side yourself sometimes. So out of those 18 greens, out of the, there's gonna be six pins that you like to fire at. So fire at them, you'll be fine. And there's gonna be six pins that you don't like. So those you want to play to the fat side of the green. Take your you know 20 30 footer, and maybe you make one or two of those. And then there's gonna be six pins that are pretty standard. Nothing nothing too scary about. It. You can just put them out there right in the middle, and you can fire at those as well. But around the greens, like I, I know that I'm a good short side bunker player, very good short side bunker. So if I, if so, if a pin's guarded by a bunker, I'm gonna fire at it because okay. I, I, I can get that up and down. But if it's a short sided with a really That's low nice. to high, chip, literally <laughs> low to high chip out of deep rough or something, I'm like, well, chances that I'm getting this one up and down, you know, slightly lower. So maybe let's play a little safer on this specific pin. Um, and then on after all that game planning, then you get on the green. And once you get on the green, typically most tournaments don't give you the pin location beforehand. But all through college and all through everything, it's basically the four corners, front right, front left, back right, back left. So you you already have an idea where the flag's going to be. So you go drop a ball down there or a tee or whatnot, and then you take a few putts from each direction of the hole. So from short front of it, from the right of it, from the left. from the So you at least have it some idea of how much it breaks in there so sometimes i'll draw like arrows in the yardage book or whatnot that you know a slight bend means it breaks a lot a little more bend being it breaks a little bit more and i, I kind of have back in my mind what each arrow kind of means by hey this one might break a cup this one might break three cups it, it's kind of just the by the just little bit extra bend in an arrow just to kind of help tell you and give you just a little bit more information to make that putt just because putting is the equalizer man yeah i mean you got to make putts. If you're not making putts, golf's not fun. And if you're not making putts, you're not going to play well. So that's probably great advice for anybody who wants to get better at golf, man. If you want to practice anything, just get you make sure you can make every single putt inside ten feet. Yeah, I know you. I know you won't. No <laughs> I can tell you, I won't. I agree. <laughs> no, no one does except that when you win the guy. If you look at the guys on the PGA Tour, if you look at the guy, the winners of each week, 
every person who wins that week, if you look at the stat, every putt inside 10 foot is made. They are 100% almost every week. Except for Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, Scotty can win without that, but yeah, he's the anomaly. Yeah. Well, when you when you when you're hitting it really close and you're hitting a lot of greens, you don't have to. He doesn't make have every, many ten footers. Yeah, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, two footers. You know, you're a, you're a standard person when you miss a, you miss a few shots here and there. You know, making all those up and downs, making all those birdie putts when you have the looks at them, they're very important. So you were talking about how you maybe later in the round you're talking about maybe playing more aggressive off the tee or more conservative depending on like where you are in your round. Do you know live scoring when you're doing like Monday qualifying and stuff, or do you just have a number in your head you're trying to get to? I mean, you check. I know live scoring. You know, you either can pull it up on your phone or you have your caddy or somebody. They'll tell you, or, or you look at it before you tee off. Like typically, like tomorrow, I'm going to tee off at noon or something, and half the scores already going to be in. At least you'll have an idea of what the number is going to be. Um, but honestly, you most of us already have a number in our head about what we're trying to get. Um, but at a Monday. There's really no. It's all gas. No. It's balls to the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, you, like I uh, like I just shot. I mean, I made a dumb bogey on the last because I already looked at it and I knew I wasn't gonna make it. But like, if I finish at three under, I already looked at the scores and it was eight under, and I was like, "That's some damn. That's dude. You just gotta play good, no mistake, perfect golf. Yeah. Like it, it, like people say perfect. It's not perfect, but you just you you making a bogey almost eliminates you. So it's wild. It's almost the biggest thing in golf that I think a lot of amateur. I think actually this was the biggest jump from elite junior golf to elite college golf was bogey avoidance. The best way to lower your score is to avoid bogeys. When, when's the last time you could think that you that you only had like a few bogeys around, or, or even if you're going trying to break ninety or whatever? When's the last time that you've avoided doubles? Yeah. Like just avoid the double bogeys. Avoid the big numbers. Sounds so simple when you say that. <laughs> well, you start looking at stats, and it's like PGA Tour golfers. And no, their courses they're playing are much harder, but they're only averaging like, you know, four and a half birdies around or something like that. So it's not yeah. the birdies that are the success. It's a bogey avoidance. Just oh, like yeah. Said. If, if, uh, I, got, I got into the stats a, a, a couple of years ago, and that opened my mind about golf as well. I read a book called Every Shot Counts. And that was all about the statistics of golf, all about everything, all that. And it makes it sound so easy. <laughs> it, it's like the game's so easy. Just hit it. We hit just, the fairway. Just, hit the green. Make the putt. Yeah, we, we just make it so hard in our head. Are you uh, – so what camp are you in? Are you in the camp of like – get the ball as far down a hole as possible. Now, like, let's just assume the course doesn't have, like, incredibly penal rough. Like, are you in the camp of hit driver everywhere you can, or are you a more position player? I have yet to get back to where I was last year. Last year, I was swinging it over 120 miles an hour. You know, my carry with my driver was 295 to 315, depending on what shot I hit. And I threw a, a dislocated a rib in out in California in Q school, like, af after – like during the second round on the back nine and that just fucking it just hurt yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh uh i have yet to swing it that fast i think if i'm swinging it really good right now i'm swinging it back to like 115 at best so but last year i driver was my best club in my bag i would i could tee it a little lower and hit this and hit bullet fades out there that were carrying 290 and i was very controllable yeah so i was in the i was in the you know, category where I just wanted to rip driver everywhere. Just send it. I can control it. We'll get it up there, pitch it on the green. You know, I, I think being closer to the hole is definitely you have a better chance of getting it closer to the hole from being closer to the green. So yeah. um now I'm not saying it's for everybody. Like right now, I mean I 
I still driver is my favorite club. I just don't hit it as far. So I'm still hitting driver. Um, but I definitely would say it's a little bit more position because some of the holes where I used to were covering certain bunkers and covering certain hazards or, you know, on specific lines, I'm not doing that currently. So I might be just kind of like, I guess I call it like a flare. I'm just kind of aiming left and I'll just kind of butter it out there. Yeah. I'm not, and that's just like a position thing for me is it just kind of easing up on one and just kind of putting it out there, you know? How have you noticed like the progression of like iron talent and how important it is as you kind of grow in your golfing career? Like, you know, maybe as a junior, like young athletic kids, they can bomb driver everywhere and they got wedge games. But then like, once you start getting into longer distances, like irons become way more paramount. And you look at the guys on the PGA yep. tour, their iron talent is just unheard of. You know, out there when the greens get so firm and you have to be able to attack these pins that are tucked, you have to be on certain sides of the fairway you need to be on the left side you need to be on the right side you know just because you're gonna have to land it closer to the front edge than you're used to i mean i've played in a few events where if i missed the fairway i would actually have to gouge out of the rough and land it you know five ten yards short of the green just to get the stop on the green yeah and even then some of them would roll over so you know the the i would say the longer iron game like that six five four that is a big big stepping stone to playing better golf. You got to be able to, if you can hit those high towering six irons, you know, back into those tough pins that can hit and stop on a dime, you know, that's, that's going to help your, your scoring average without a doubt. Yeah. We'll work on that this year. <laughs> League play. Make contact. Hey, look, I'll just put it like Tiger Woods said it and just do, stop watching YouTube and go hit, go practice. I mean, that's, that's true. It. Well, I loved your comment too. Cause Sam Bennett said that at the masters, like I play golf, I don't play golf swing. And I think that like, that's definitely been a part of my, my, my maturation in golf is like the swing is important. Like if you have, if you take it too far inside, like you're going to have issues, but you don't try and perfect that go out there and try to become a better golfer. And I, I love the way you phrased it. Yeah. I mean, dude, when you got on the golf course, whatever, when you visually look at the hole, I want you to step up to the hole. And I want you the the first thing that comes to mind, what shot shape, you're most comfortable with but some people that's right to left some people, right <laughs> some people that's a slice you know but if you, that, that's your most comfortable shot dude just play it man I, i've played some tournaments Those pesky played, trees that are the problem i've literally played tournaments where i've played a 35 yard push fade before in one you know it, it it's doable you just got to commit to saying you know this is what i got right now this is what i'm gonna do and then those pesky trees if they are in the way take less club just take a hybrid, take a long iron, try to hit, try to hit like a lower one that might not fade as much. You know, you have way more confidence in me than I do. <laughs> I mean, dude, hey, John, hey. John Rahm's like quite literally almost playing a slice at this point in his career. I don't know if you like look at his t balls. He's playing like a 35, 40 yard cut sometimes, but he just does it because he knows he can do it every time. He's not on TV anymore. What's he on Live Network? <laughs> yeah, we'll see him on the yeah, CW. Yeah, we'll see him on the CW. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've been told that when John Rahm, I, not from him, but when he is hitting it his absolute best it's actually like a tight draw oh wow so he's he has hitting. not been hitting it very well, but, <laughs> but he still won the masters with a big cut yeah so well, no, yeah, no, that's what i mean like you can definitely win you can definitely play. like it's just playing golf man you just got to get the ball in the hole no one cares how no one cares if you take a five iron from one to 55 and hit like a 20 yard slice up on the green and then make a 22 footer I mean, what the hell? That's I mean, literally my game. Five one from one sixty-five. My five putt. Yeah. Oh man, dude. I mean, I was just playing. Uh, uh, gee, where was I at? I forgot where, but it, one of the guys literally had an eight iron, 
and we were dead into the wind from like one, you know, 55 or something. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit a six. <laughs> he hits his eight. It comes up. Balloons. Yeah. I take this like little baby half swing and hit this little cut six iron in there and ends up 10 feet behind the flag. And he just goes, how the hell did you do that? It's like, dude, just swing easy. You don't <laughs> have to hit it hard. It's so true. <laughs> See, I, there's no shot shaping in my game. It's just hope to make contact with the ball. I don't know. Like, so, oh, I'm going to somehow hit a low cut six. That's not an yeah. option for a lot of us out there. Yeah. Well, you know, for that reason, you know, I would say, you know, stop watching YouTube. Go practice. <laughs> Got a <You> job. <laughs> I like your point, though. So, I mean, just take take a little bit more club and don't don't swing out of your shoes. I mean, I definitely have that problem, but you're right. That would help so many amateur golfers. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, look, if you want to – honestly, the best way to get a better golf swing without actually working on your golf swing is move athletically in that domain. You know, take a weighted – club or whatever try to swing it as hard and fast you can and body and try to get more efficient and i kid you not the more speed you put on the swing and the more efficient you get with it that's actually creating a better golf swing you know i'm not saying you know the long drive guys have the best golf swing i'm just saying the more efficient you can get your body going like that and not all arms and everything and it's more just body turning in a barrel less hand movement less arm just turn then that's it just makes it simple like that now I want to golf. <laughs> yeah, now we want to golf and we can't. Yeah, well, dude, just go, dude. The literally best thing you could do is get an impact bag, get a weighted orange whip or weighted something, and just stand there and hit the impact bag ten times a day, right handed, and ten times a day left handed. I guarantee you, you're going to go after the golf course and most likely feel like you you've learned something new and you're swinging it better. Love it. All right. Well, hey, man, let's close this episode out. Let's talk about your year coming up. You know, what are your Monday qualifying? You know, I, you talked about U.S. Open. You're going to do local qualifying. Where are you going to do that? What's your year look like coming up? Uh, so I got some more Mondays this January, a couple of mini tour events all through Florida. Um, February, haven't looked into anything yet. And then uh, I think after that, I think my next thing, I'll probably play in maybe one other mini tour event somewhere that if I can find one in February close to home since I'll be in Louisiana. Um, and then I'm definitely going to be doing the U uh, S open locals. I haven't determined where I'm going to do that. So I'll be back up in Pinehurst. I don't think I'm going to do it from the, the same location. I've did it last year. I'll probably go to some other course just, you know, I, I don't think it matters. You just got to show up and play well either way. Where'd you go uh, last year? I went to pine wild. Yeah did that the last two years just because it's literally in Pinehurst. It's right. very easy. Um, but you know, I, the, the course is a great golf course, great track. It's long. It's 74 50. I mean, it's a very okay. good test. It's just, you know, I, I, I think it could be in just a little bit better, you know, shape here and That's there. Fair. Um, and I, I, I rather go to a course that I know is most likely going to have really good putting greens. Um, just cause it, I think that's an equalizer for me because I'm a great putter. Um, and when I can see that ball rolling end over end and it's not bouncing, it's not the greens aren't super slow, whatever, I, I'm going to make putts. And uh, for me, that you know, that's a big key. Are you going to do Q school? When, when does Q school happen? You had talked about it, so you've done it previously. But when does it usually uh, happen and will you do it this year? Q school does not happen until pre-qualifying, I believe, starts in August. Um, I have not had to do pre-qualifying except my first year out of college, which has been nice. Uh, I, I will definitely be doing Q school one more time. Just, we're, you know, I'm, I'm right. I've been right there and I, I don't know if I've gotten the luck that I've needed. Uh, you know, I've been injured a lot. Uh, I had, I had it last year, last year, my game was clicking on everything. And, uh, until that rib 
started stabbing me and yeah, that's that wild. Was, that was Unlucky. Uh, That'll do it. Um, I I almost won first stage, and then going into second stage, you know, I was I was hitting it really well. I was very confident, and uh, that injury just kind of held me back. So we're looking to stay healthy this year and get that swing speed up, get everything kind of clicking again, and we're going to give it one more go, and and that starts in September. Good luck. So I'm excited, man. It should be a good time. Nice man. Well, we uh we really appreciate your time here. When we're in Pinehurst, we'll hit you up. We'll get you get you out on the course, uh, film some videos, and maybe you can caddy for us, teach us a few things. <laughs> yeah, man, that sounds great. It's been a pleasure to talk to you guys. It'd be awesome to play some golf. You know, put 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 the golf swings to the faces. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's gonna be ugly, but the face is pretty. <laughs>